Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you are listening to Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy this episode. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks since I did one of these. I've been to France. I've been to Cornwall. And um, I just decided to take a little bit of a, a break, really. Um, I did interview Eski, which is what you're about to listen to, in the week between France and Cornwall. I also interviewed my friend Melody Sky, which is the next episode. And I was planning to get him out as usual. But then down in Cornwall, I was down there to be uh, the celebrant to dear friend of mine's wedding and that was obviously quite full on and by the time that was done I thought well I'm gonna have a week off because we were staying me Alima and Peg we're staying in this very nice cottage in Cornwall the weather was nice I realized I've not really had a break all year so that's what I did and it was great we watched films I read books and I walked the dog we hung out with our lovely pals down there and I've come back feeling nice and refreshed um so here I am with this latest episode with Eski Britain back on the show for the first time in six years. Now, Eski was one of the people I interviewed way back in the early days of Looking Sideways, um, September 2017, I believe it was. Early, like a few months in, didn't really know what I was doing with Looking Sideways. Had an idea at that point, I was onto something. And I thought, well, I'll go to Ireland because at that point I was really having to hustle to make it happen so I was having to just track down guests and earn the right really to um to interview people so I went to Ireland and I interviewed Sophie Hellier friend of mine Fergal Smith and Eski and um that one was really popular and it's perennially popular the the episode with Eski and we stayed in touch and over the years I've watched her unique insightful and extraordinary career as a surfer, writer and academic with obvious, you know, with as much interest as everybody else, really. She really does have one of the most unique careers, I'm going to say, in surfing and also takes on surfing and our relationship with water, which is really what this chat you're about to listen to is about. Because Eski got in touch to say she was going to be in London in May to do a talk at the Finisterre store about her new book, Ebb and Float. So I was pretty hyped about that. Firstly, because I really like Eski and I was really looking forward to seeing her again. And because the chats that we have are all always, even when we're like DMing on Instagram, um, you know, they're the type of nourishing, thought-provoking tackle looking sideways was invented for. And secondly, because Ebb and Flow, Eski's new book, is a really, really interesting read and has a lot of very insightful things to say about water our relationship to water and the whole modern day extremely fashionable notion of uh, blue mind and blue health I always get those two things confused Um, but you know that stuff that everyone talks about vitamin c you know you know that one hashtag Um, you know in the six years since I first chatted to Eski those ideas are now you know have gone from like quite fringe niche things to um yeah like an absolute staple of instagram um and that's interesting and there have been huge changes in iski's own life as well she's the mother of twins something which as she says has also altered her own relationship with the element that has defined her own life so it was that myself and owen headed to the finisere store in london in midway in mid-may even to catch up with iski and to chat all things uh, water and ebb and flow 
This is a really great conversation. It roves absolutely all over the place and it is embellished by the thoughtfulness and insight that characterizes Eski's view of the world. Like I say, I think this is like a pretty political book on the quiet and I really like the way that Eski interrogates these notions Um, because there's a lot of unquestioning hashtagging about the whole blue health gig which is the one thing that I I'm a bit uncomfortable with with it really because you know when you see something like that that just becomes suddenly it's everywhere and people are just using it I'm always like well why you know and quite often um, the answer's a bit a bit weak (laughs) really so when I read Eski's book which like I say interrogates this stuff in a really insightful way um i was down so that's what we talked about so here's me and eski ebb and flow enjoy yeah are are you all right yeah yeah were you expecting this conversation to start with us talking about Jürgen Klopp. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's going to be in the podcast. <laughs> this is in the podcast. Oh, wow. This is it starting. Yeah, I um, think. How you doing? Good, thanks. It's, uh, we were trying to work it out. Um, six years, I think. Yeah, I Since think we so. were over. 2017. Yeah. I'd only just started it. I'd only been doing it like, um, you were like episode 20 or something. One of your test subjects then, yeah. Well, you you were one of the ones that actually were like, yeah, I'll do that. Because back then, I think it was... Well, know, podcasts even were a bit of a novelty, probably. Well, it was, like early, <laughs> it was early days for looking sideways as yeah, well. Yeah. We do it in Galway. I came to your, yeah, the, the university. your campus, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. So you've been quite busy since then. A lot's happened since then, yeah. 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 Where'd, you, where'd you start? I don't know. That's <laughs> <laughs> your job. Yeah. Um, well, we should probably start with a book. Okay. Which is why you're in town today, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, so we are at the Finisterre store in Covent Garden and Eski's doing, so you're doing three dates to London, you can see it there, Bristol and Aggie, and you're going to be interviewed by Sam. Yeah. About the book, Sam Bleakley, yeah. friend of the show. Um, yeah. So I've read the book, which is, um, and I thought it was great. So why did you need to write that book? Because it's quite you know um alamode that topic isn't it you know blue health like the kind of like water as a healing um entity if you like it's become quite fashionable these days yeah so it's quite it's quite an interesting thing to sort of sink your teeth into and you're a little you're a little critical of the general approach to it at the beginning you kind of set your stall out a little bit saying that you have a bit of a problem with the way that the blue health message is generally communicated was that a bit of an impetus for the book yeah I suppose to put it in context I was coming out of the back of a really intense decade or so let's say in academia um in that area that's I mean blue health is, is an incredible emerging field and it's really exciting so it's it kind of brings together a whole spectrum of like different disciplines across science and public health and uh, essentially looking at our relationship with water in the context of health so they, they kind of usually framed it in terms of the benefits physical mental of being in on or near the water uh, really building on that blue mind kind of i'm gonna tie them off <laughs> The blue, you know, Wallace J. Nichols' book, Blue Mind. Yeah, which is um, hu- like hugely influential kind of work in this conversation, yeah. isn't it? Basically? Yeah, it's 
it's foundational in kind of getting that message out there into yeah. a more mainstream, I suppose, audience in, in the Western world in particular. And then the research, I think the book came about because a lot of the research up to date had been done. It's it's primarily focused in, you know, through through that Western lens. Yeah. Um, looking at it in terms of like, the, you know, it's amazing because it's encouraging this connection and understanding of the link between our health and, and water, yeah. which I, I'm all aboard for that. But I suppose I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and look at, uh, do we run the risk also, even in that narrative of looking at it still through that lens of like what nature, what water can do for us, what we can get from it yeah. and how it makes us feel good without an awareness of, um, I suppose, even can that connection with the ecosystem itself and how is it doing and so then that led me down the path of looking at this from a more uh, restored like looking at restoration and the restorative benefits of water as a two-way thing yeah um so that's really how ebb and flow came about that kind of interrelationship of both the health of the water and our health rather than i suppose what i'm trying to say is not looking at water as just another commodity to yeah you know, i mean it it just was, for our fle- pleasure or fun exactly. or it's even such, health such an interesting insight that because <clears throat> i guess you're saying it's it's been transactional right like it's 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 almost like treating it as a static thing that exists for our personal well-being or healing or health essentially and that's certainly the the kind of way people portray it these days if you know like i'm and it almost like magnified by, you know, you talk a lot about lockdown. You talk a lot about like how that, how COVID kind of also had a huge influence in people being exposed to these ideas. Do you think that, where do you think that kind of transactional idea of it comes from? Like this, this idea that like nature's there to do something for us rather than we're part of nature. Like, which is, which is a key theme of the book, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, it's just the big thing. I think as, you know, as a society in this part of the world, we're really struggling to overcome that story so dominant of separation from nature. And and then it's how we live our lives. It's, um, it's almost embodied in that we are at a remove. And again, at best, a lot of the times it's nature is still this, you know, thing we can go to. <laughs> yeah. That's away, especially with water and, and with the ocean, or it's a real place of privilege. It's, oh, it's for those guys to do. But yeah. I, you know, um, and, and then water is kind of complex. And the, the book um, sort of looks at that as well of this relationship we have with it also has a dark side and it's a place of risk and danger and fear. Um, and yet, again, the reason why I suppose that what happened during the pandemic and COVID is so interesting to look at because it highlights for me how as humans we must innately know and feel that pull of an understanding in our bodies that being near water is good for us because we all went there without being told. (laughs) In fact, some of us went there and overrode some of the rules in order to get there because we knew we needed it in order to try to feel any kind of sanity in a world that seemed out of control at the time. Well, I mean, there was like an elemental pull Mm. going on, wasn't there? Yeah. Really? Um, probably because it was such an unusual time and it was such a an unanchored time if you like for people you know like those normal social reference points that we have like you need to do this you need to do this they they were all gone weren't they so there was a suddenly we were all a bit adrift weren't we we were all if you think back to that period that kind of like especially that two to three month period where where it was a bit like okay what the fuck's going on like while we all got used to that also like okay well no one could go to work suddenly we had all this time on our hands suddenly we had all this well some people did but like 
those reference points had gone and it was interesting wasn't it how there was this huge pull of nature like people whether it was water whether it was just you know getting outside doing your walks whatever it was like it do you think that desire that we all collectively kind of manifested was almost like a bit more of a natural state for us once those you know distractions had gone like yeah, kind of the noise that like quite literally been reduced. <laughs> it's kind of why I use the phrase unanchored. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like like untethered because I because we are, we are quite held in by these daily conventions, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? That that dictate the way that not only we live our lives but also the way that we do experience our surroundings. Completely, and there's something then about water. I think it's interesting where it responds to that need to feel a sense of belonging that kind of real strong connection to place in order to feel, I suppose, tethered in a way again. And then, but also, um, and, and very profoundly that, that feeling of like touch of like this, that sensory kind of connection. And then also that physical contact actually with our bodies, you know, why there's so many people actually went to like the kind of swimming where, you know, without a wetsuit even. And I think that is somewhat intentional too to really feel yeah. <laughs> the water on our on our skins in this part of the world and the, and the cold even um and then the the other the sort of the other piece then i'm curious about is is something about it is almost in, in contradiction to what i just said about belonging but it's something about that entering a world where we actually actually don't belong you know there's that kind of element of we're out of our comfort zones and there is an element of challenge and having to be with discomfort. Um, but I think that's part of the medicine or the healing in water, right? Where yeah. You, yeah. That actually allowing ourselves to learn how to begin to become comfortable with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the really fascinating things about the book. Like there's the, you, you obviously kind of describe it in terms of different states, you know, like of experience, like there's, there's healing and there's, there's the kind of like immersing yourself in nature there's grief is a huge theme of the book which is really interesting like how we use water as part of the grieving process um and i found that kind of made me reevaluate the way that i look at something that we take very much for granted you know like how did you approach breaking it down into those (laughs) constituent parts because that's one of the things that kind of got me when i was like i was a bit like wow this is pretty ambitious (laughs) really (laughs) to to, to be like okay i'm gonna kind of try and redefine our relationship with this thing that we all take for granted eh? but like you know to actually start doing that you know is like another question isn't it yeah i mean gosh when i started out too and i'd already probably gone too far down the road i was like what am i doing this is massive it is to write like the story of the world itself water touches like literally everything um yeah and then the the themes in the book emerged around those kind of patterns of what is it that water holds for us and what do we seek from it so everything from connection um i suppose the different qualities through from these are from my perspective as well yeah i want to write about things i'm interested in but that have come up also in my observations and so that connection and mystery like it's just so interesting even the kind of unknowability of water even though it seems such like so common it's in everywhere in our everyday lives and yet it still holds so much of that mystery of the unknown uh even from a scientific point of view which was kind of fascinating yeah 
And then within that is, is the mythology of the stories we have around our relationship with water and how they've been evolving as our relationship, you know, changes with, uh, with each other and with the land. And so I, I really saw that, yeah, there's a lot of that shaping power that water holds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's massive <laughs> as a topic. How, how did you, presumably, like you say, a lot of it was imbued by your own experience, but I'm guessing there's quite a heavy research phase in this where you kind of marshaled your thoughts and trying to, and, and the themes that you were, that you were, did you start with that initial big idea and then kind of work out how to, how to explore it through different themes? The, yeah, the initial idea actually came more with, so that each chapter has these uh, practices of maybe looking at the more practical wisdom of how to, what do we actually mean when we talk about connection and, yeah. and connecting with water and how do you do that and what does that look like in ways that would maybe benefit your health but also start to restore your relationship or understanding with water in a new way um so it's going to be more almost like a more practical handbook or guidebook yeah, of, of those of kinds each, of exercises yeah at the end of each chapter aren't they and then yeah. i realized wow that that really needs to be embedded in a, in a context here of a story that i don't think I think it, it's it's emerging and it's there, but um, I suppose coming out of I suppose also coming out of so long in in academia and being trained, I suppose to write a certain way <laughs> I wanted to break free from some of those conf- confines and get more creative but also to invite in other voices so yeah. I, the research part I really enjoyed was actually um discovering and and reaching out to people who are working with water in really interesting ways that are also quite hybrid so crossing crossing over with science but also spirituality indigenous wisdom and um and how they actually can blend together like they're just different ways of telling the same story yeah there's a lot of mythology in there a lot of folklore the importance of storytelling is obviously like a huge theme isn't it and like how the stories that we tell about water like inform the way that different societies have viewed over the years like they're all I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a huge body out there that you've tried to kind of marshal, isn't there really? Was that daunting? It was one of those experiences where the more, like I thought, oh yeah, I know this, (laughs) you know, I've been researching this area of blue health and I, I've been in the ocean my whole life. Like I know water. And then I I started to write the book and realized, oh my goodness, I, I, I so don't. I enjoyed getting out of like the ocean centric view as well and looking at, it was probably most interesting for me to look at other water bodies like the rivers and ice and what's happening but also the connection there with with the ocean of course um and yeah there was it was a big learning curve for me too even on a a journey of discovery even writing the book yeah Yeah. I, I really like I didn't quite get it until I was reading the chapter on ebb like I mean was that an intentional what what is ebb (laughs) but was it an was it an intentional almost like play on words with the the concept of flow yeah because they they didn't have i didn't have the title for the book at in the beginning you know you know what i mean right like because obviously flow like blue health is a is a very well-worn topic right now um i actually just had stephen kotler on the podcast you know oh yeah do you know stephen kotler yeah yeah and i'm gonna be honest i found that conversation i found his approach to the concept of flow a bit problematic personally because it was quite, it was quite like, and it was interesting the reaction from listeners actually, because because some people really liked it and some people really didn't didn't like it because okay. because he, he links it to like performance basically. Right. He's he's right. A, he's a bit. It's quite bro bro science. It's quite like 
life yeah, hacky. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, which, which is interesting you say that because I think that's the other thing with a lot of the blue health research. There's an agenda always behind it. And you look at research coming out of, say, around, say, blue health, but also nature connection generally in depending on which part of the world. So in, in America, it does tend to focus much more on life hacks and how yeah. can you enhance like workplace which, performance. And, which is almost like the kind of, you know, is the phrase thin end of the wedge of like what you're talking about like how people what can nature do for me kind of thing you know like and yeah yeah and in europe it tends to be like stress reduction and mood so yeah you, don't, you know you have less sick days so you still are an efficient worker <laughs> but you know it's attached yeah. to these things of being quote-unquote more productive and i wanted to challenge that as well like what if we're we're less productive like if you're always productive is that a good thing? <laughs> well, exactly. And that's why I was so fascinated Which by... Which ebb counters that. Firstly, the fact that you've put ebb as... And we'll get into that, I think, because it's such an interesting idea that's that's key to the book. But, you know, as a counterpoint to flow, as a counterpoint to this. Because there's a quote from Connor Ryan, isn't there? Is it Connor, maybe? Could be, yeah. He said um, lovely things about both ebb and flow. Yeah. And the Iranian snowboarder, maybe. There's these quotes about, like, the importance of not being in flow as well is equally as important to the process you know and this is the thing about the Kotler interpretation of flow that I didn't particularly like the fact that it's about constant improvement it's just found it like quite blokey a bit you know a bit like (laughs) a bit like Mm. okay like you know it's we can't have can we not just enjoy it for like the experience you know like rather than it being about like constant self-improvement so when I read the chapter in your book firstly about and you're talking about flow and you 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 speak of it in very different terms you speak of it in in much more of a an experience that we can enjoy for its own sake if that makes sense yeah yeah and 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 the point being just to experience it and it not being about i mean i don't think the words performance are even it's not even something yeah i must actually do a word search i don't think i have the word performance i don't think you do i don't think you do and i found i found that really refreshing because Mm. i because I quite liked it reclaimed the idea of flow as, you know, not being about success and, and performance and striving and, you know, these like quite colonial to conquering, you know, like in, in a way, mm-hmm. like which it can quite quickly become. And then when it was tied to the conversation that you have around ebb, the opposite of flow and why that's important so is that something that you that you wanted to center in this conversation this like this counterpoint to to you know constant forward motion if you like yeah because I realized writing the book I hadn't yeah it's 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 so much there's a lot on flow (laughs) yeah and well again it's a trendy thing isn't it the minute flow yeah it's like it's 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 another sort of pop sciencey bit like blue health it's quite it's around, isn't it, at the minute? You know? It is, and maybe like to is is the opposite of flow could also be to be to be stuck and to feel stagnant. And uh, but actually, with ebb, it it's not. I mean, even looking at it in terms of like, I think I write about that in the book. Even of water, if it's uh, there's a difference between being still and yeah. stagnant. Um, so still also is that's. I mean, in terms of where do I draw my energy from? And it's actually, I draw it actually down on the, that those ebb moments of rest or stillness or when I'm just, or even how do I, how do I actually, when, when you have those peak moments, sometimes it isn't even able, I'm not even able to process them until I have that time and space for reflection or when that you say solitude. Pe- when you say peak moment, what would that be? 
you know, like something you're caught up in the moment and it's like, say with surfing and an, yeah. you know, an incredible ride. Um, and, but you're so, you know, sometimes you're just so in the moment that then afterwards, you know, it felt good, but you can't, you can't explain <laughs> you it. You can't even explain it or understand what, what happened. You can't and, explain where it came from almost. Yeah. 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 And I, I even, and then as a researcher too, kind of the relentless pace of that, of, of, this need to constantly produce you lose those that that time to actually after you've put it out there or created something even to just let it settle and then look at it with some distance even like to reflect yeah um on how all the how you know how all the pieces came together or not or yeah that introspection it's both like you know cyclically speaking it's the yeah, it's, it is that rest phase if you look at flow as the, the action phase. Yeah. I wonder how, because I read your interview with Sam Haddad, which was great um, for Sam's Climate and Board Sports uh, newsletter. Um, she asked you about being a mum. Um, mm. And I'm, I'm not going to ask the same question because she already asked it, but she talked about like, has your relationship to water changed since you've been a mum? Because obviously, you know, you and you said yes, essentially. And you so I wonder if, are you enjoying different things from the experience of being in water in, in the same way? Like, because I, and I'm t- I, I kind of want to ask this question in the context of you being, let's just say a really good surfer, you know, who surfs big waves, who pushes himself, who, who through, <laughs> who through, but who through the, your surfing career yeah. has presumably yeah. had to try and tap into this, like striving forward motion to, to, to achieve those things. I mean, we talked about this a little bit in our first conversation, you know, like about how you get yourself in the mind, yeah, set to like yeah. surf more and more or, or surf so i wonder i think you maybe get what i'm getting at here like is, is are you appreciating the ebb more now that it's changed for you oh yeah i mean like pregnancy is full-on ebb state <laughs> for me anyway and the relationship has completely changed even thinking about flow it's interesting when you say about performance like i would say i have i have had experiences now surfing where i feel like actually a heightened state of flow I don't think I've really felt before um now recently yeah and not and there because I have absolutely there's just no performance attached to it like I'm not even going out there with any expectations of myself I'm just going out going this is amazing I've got like an hour 45 minutes in the water before I got a dash back um so I've yeah and actually the total letting go of any striving or expectations or I've got a perform a certain way is just gone and I think that's where some of there's there's maybe there's more reasons than that but there's this feeling of so when I say heightened flow just that feeling of being completely in my body yeah and that connection with like the board the wave and the body without any sense of separation does that picture that I kind of painted of you know flow as a state of striving if you like is that something that you've recognized when you've surfed in the past and you've and you've been trying to push yourself to to perhaps you know be in critical situations um yeah good question i mean i definitely looking back at my like say surfing career if you want to call it um yeah i really see now how that relationship has been evolving all the time like surfing is this constant but it's not always the same my relationship with the sea 
and surfing so sometimes even like there's times also now where I feel more I, I just need to be immersed I might don't even want a surfboard times when I feel like I want to body surf more or you know um but yeah with the big wave surfing and then with in with when I was competing I just had that yeah bucket loads of drive <laughs> I had to channel it somewhere yeah um the big wave surfing was a little bit different um it was something more about this it was kind of there was drive for sure but I couldn't it was like intangible. I couldn't explain almost where it came from. Right. Of this, there's just this really strong pull um, to like go to an extreme edge within my own like personal limits. Um, and then half the time or more, I'd be like, oh, no, why? Right. <laughs> I have no idea, but here I am. Really? Uh, so yeah. so that you, you really felt like it was something that you even you didn't comprehend? Yeah. What, yeah. As in like why you would put yourself in those yeah. situations? <laughs> really? That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's just a bit of an, in, an inner drive to, to do it. Yeah. It, it, it's, and I don't know, was it actually writing when I was, I wrote, the previous book saltwater in the blood and i write I write a lot about that relationship with mullock more as a place yeah and then when i spoke to my mum about um my own birth the experience she had with me and then that the story again that connects with mullock more head and i don't know even because most of my big wave surfing relationship connection has been with that wave more than anywhere else and so i i wonder i don't know but i wonder is it a, is it just something that i needed to like explore and have out with this place with this wave like, well that that really connects to some of the stuff that connor talks about in the book though mm-hmm. right because he really talks about and this probably brings to the point that you made earlier about the importance of having like indigenous voices in the book and indigenous um as a counterpoint to our very western approach to this relation natural relationship that we're talking about but he talks a lot about you know kind of the place is character almost like an environment is character, you know, like going to a, a particular mountain and, you know, singing to it, speaking to it, like being aware of its history, like the, the and, and again, making sure you're not being transactional. You're not just going somewhere and seeing it as a, a venue for you to go skiing or a venue for you to go surfing to actually try and contextualize yourself in it. Kind of what you were talking about then really, right? Like a, as a way of, yeah. A, a three-dimensional relationship with a place, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, and you're I think you're really onto something there because when I look at then the context again with Big Wave Surfing and Mullock Moore, a lot of the like for me the takeaway and learnings were around how am I showing up in that right. space and that would completely affect the outcome experience I would have in the waves. Really? So that's when I began to think, oh, the energy I'm bringing into the water there's a reaction then that happens with the wave and how well it goes or not. Um, which I mean, one way you could, I, I thought of it more, then more as a, that's like a psychological thing and I'm going to do mindfulness training. And, but now I realize actually it's also speaking to what Connor shared in the book too, yeah. about the, there is this exchange happening between you and the environment you're in all the time. Yeah. You make the point in the book that these concepts that you're talking about aren't new. Let's, put it that way you know that culture's not as uh inward facing i'll be polite as ours have uh have been talking about these you know, been having these conversations have been establishing this relationship with nature forever really you know you almost make the point that that lack of understanding is 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 the aberration you know like yeah. and i kind of i was thinking about that this morning because i was listening to this debate on the radio about the, the sewage crisis in this country 
and and even listening to people on the radio was really fascinating kind of reminded me a bit about some of the themes you talk about in the book because yeah on the one hand everyone's really pissed off about the water bills and the fact that all this shareholder money is going out and and blah blah you know this well-worn argument but there was definitely a lack of understanding from people about their own contribution to that problem you know there was this definite feeling of like well these people should just come and tidy up for us you know like there was (laughs) like and I, i kind of thought yeah people genuinely think you flush it down the toilet and it just gets magically (laughs) taken care of (laughs) you know like it even on that level there's this lack of understanding really about our own place in in nature and and you you, you're quite careful to to sort of say like look you know if we look around there are other cultures have been much more mindful than we are about these whether it's like an element you know basic everyday thing like that or the more kind of you know spiritual ideas behind it yeah and it, so yeah go back even to your the question we kind of start it with around like why this book why now and then with blue health is there you know for me is there a, maybe a fear there of like co-opting without acknowledging i think that's the acknowledgement piece is really important the the wisdom and, and knowledge already there that you could be called blue health yeah. <laughs> we've jazzed it up now with this term and this science is new but what it's doing is actually just supporting and validating um uh, the indigenous as i call it indigenous science indigenous wisdom and knowledge in, in the book um and articulating it in a different way but it's speaking to again that in the those interconnections that ecological kind of interdependency with between everything and that things like it's we don't live in a a world of objects that it's all animate and alive yeah um yeah so it's and and it's a and that's why i think the science is is really important as well and fascinating but it's in support of you know and it's and it's important i suppose that acknowledgement piece is important yeah we make the point that it's about stories as well yeah it's about the stories that we that we tell and you suggest that you think we've perhaps lost that ability to almost tell honest stories about it in some way that and yeah and then just even how easily or quickly we dismiss um myth and mythology as it's made as made up or you know not real um and then I realized writing the book I was like wow the that whole you know the sort of science coming out now looking at the interconnection between um forests the health the health of forests especially along coasts and coastal and ocean ecosystems and how how the health of the ocean depends on the trees yeah uh, and then vice versa how the trees really depend on the health of the rivers and the salmon and, and so on and that just is completely that's what the whole story of one of the biggest mythologies in in ireland the salmon of knowledge the brad on fassa speaks to and i write about that in the book as well but it, it's telling the story of the connection the real fine-tuned connection between the the trees and the salmon and the river and the ocean but you know and it's it's millennia old um so i was like oh they're you know the same but in different ways yeah i mean there's a there's an idea that the myths you know are about us trying to find our place understand our place in the natural world right i mean from from a very obvious sense to, but but also in a, in a metaphorical sense as well you know yeah. like that's kind of what they're for isn't it you know do you think do you think we've lost the ability to to generate those types of stories in a way that helps us place ourselves in the natural world 
Oh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I hope so not. But that's kind of what the book's trying <laughs> yeah. to almost address, though, isn't it? Yeah. I think in, in, if you don't, that's one of my interpretations. So anyway, like, it's, it's almost like a little prod, isn't it? To say, look, just let's look at it. Like, let's just slightly shift the focus. So, yeah in a way perhaps you're right and like so yeah going back to like the basics and that's what some of the exercises in it maybe are encouraging to do is like that in terms of place connection but like the story of of place and your water where you are and and beginning to I suppose learn that story all over again um but it's interesting too because I, I love with working with the medium of water I find it just well it cuts through so many different um threads and worlds and spheres but also what's interesting is that whole like concept of time um i really learned that from speaking to like some of the like the water protectors in the book like pat mccabe but this this you know this notion or reality that all the water that's here is all the water there's ever been and it's like that's four billion years or so give yeah. or take <laughs> that, that, i mean that's just one you know, of those so that just kind of when i really think about that yeah like, I'm, we're sitting here and there's a like water in my cup that i'm or glass i'm drinking i'm like good reminder you know <laughs> it's kind of mad yeah like, well where's that been what well, that's journey one of those, has that been on that's, well that's one of those things in the book when i read that i was like oh yeah that's like when you think about that that is actually like very head wrecking <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you mentioned earlier this idea that writing the book was a way of getting yourself out of this kind of like quite academic way of telling your own stories as well which is quite interesting did you were you finding that quite inhibiting then yes in short um you because know, most of my training like even as as a as writer has been to write academically yeah you know, and conform and it's very conforming like you have to follow use a certain language and follow a certain structure and um I think it really has its place it's really important in the peer review process and all of that when it works is is really good uh, but it's yeah there's a lot of exclusionary forces at play there too and I, I suppose I just got to that point where I needed a different way to give expression more creatively and and in a way to, t- to translate like I think a lot of there's really good work being done in science and academia but it tends to quit stay in those circles and um, that's why I do think stories matter and actually, if even if there are, it seems like there's lots of blue health stories coming out, they're probably all necessary, you know, to look at it in all these different ways. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to do a bit of untraining almost? Yes, exactly. That's a good yeah. way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. God, I, 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 yeah. And then I have I a tendency did... to like really go into the research side of things. And yeah. And I have to rein myself back. And that's why in the book too, in terms of my own creative approach or process was really trying to start with starting with that that quality or essence of water like power or connection or flow and and then trying to tap into an experience I've had like an an embodied experience of what it what did it actually look and feel like for me and then trying to tease that out and then using that as a way to kind of then ask more questions and go deeper and yeah yeah, reach out to other folks and ask them hey this has come up what what is this all about (laughs) but that must have been one of the great parts about it because there's there's obviously some really great minds in there you know who because there's a lot of you know thinking like bonnie i think is how you say Mm -hmm. rebecca olive you know right who's doing some really interesting work work. yeah on moving oceans Um, project 
and yeah there's a huge fund of resources and ideas that you've managed to sort of corral into this which is one of the great kind of pleasures of reading it really because there there are a lot of perspectives in there was that a conscious goal to try and draw in as many different ideas and and ways of thinking about this as possible yeah both as a challenge to myself to really kind of broaden um how I look at this and who I'm listening to yeah. <laughs> and what voices um, I suppose I'd like to hear, but what voices I felt are kind of maybe missing in the more dominant discourse around blue health as well. Um, and then also looking at it, even geographically, it was interesting to sort of look at actually where, where, where is the, yeah, where is the research tending to focus or what's been written out, out there around water and previously? Geographically. Geographically, like and what parts of the world are missing. Right. Um, so what conclusions could you draw there then? Was that, are the patterns that you can discern? Yeah, I mean, and maybe it's the fact also I'm limited to like the English language and that's uh, in terms of how many books are published, that's the ones that get the most exposure. And same with the research as well. If you don't publish it in English, it's, yeah. you're not going to get in the top journals. Um, so there's that. But then, yeah, and then there's just just the dismissal of whole continents <laughs> always strikes me as so it just unsurprisingly <laughs> just tends to be a very, you know, uh, European centric Western centric um, and then maybe um, touching on you know if it's indigenous it's probably still North America and then there's a little bit in Asia and that's it and then there's a bit about like um, Greenland or Antarctica as if it was just a land of ice with no people though yeah yeah well Antarctica but there's there are people working there <laughs> on the basis yeah 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 I just l- listened to this um I mean, I guess we're talking about like kind of, you know, again, colonial yeah. orient, orientalist approaches to, to things, aren't we? I was just listening to this podcast yesterday about um, the first white people to visit like Zimbabwe who discovered all these like, you know, lost cities from civilizations and just could not comprehend that Africans had built these places. And um, basically to explain it, you know posited that it must have been europeans that had, that had, that had built these cities and everyone forgot about it and you know supposedly this is where a lot of the hunt for el dorado you know like these kind of myths like these kind of like we'll go and find these lost civilizations is basically because the, you know the answer being there well actually it was just built by the locals you know who had a culture that was yeah. and a civilization that was like sophisticated enough to do this like you know no no it couldn't possibly be that you know we have to make up these whole stories i mean that's kind of the way we've always viewed non-western culture isn't it really you know yeah. so it's interesting to hear that you know even in this you, you're kind of coming up against that sort of prevailing doctrine in a way yeah, and then of course when you go a little bit deeper, you realise actually some of the best wisdom and the best examples of where relationship, you know, the human relationship with water is still thriving, or water is being protected, um, or those environments are the most biodiverse. Are then of course the on indigenous lands and in those countries that have been colonised and somehow have still managed to keep that intact yeah um which is, is super impressive really um and then there's things coming across different 
from the therapeutic perspective as well of water as healing it was really interesting to look at say the work of Ilwad Elman who I write about in the book in Somalia and the role of the ocean there and that in the context of that kind of trauma with young people where the western mental health models um, tend not to work very well uh, if they even have access to them right um, that's interesting yeah could you explain that a little bit i think she talks about it how and and i don't want to just take words from her but it's you know in in the book of with what she shared around um i guess it'd be i suppose in in a conflict zone as well of just the mentality and attitude of um just of that just getting on with it almost the kind of resilience that doesn't allow for actually giving expression or to emotions or feelings like you just need to keep going yeah and as a survival mechanism really i suppose as well right yeah um and then to sort of do that kind of say as we think of as like talk therapy would just be seen as really yeah well an indulgence at at us on one level but then and then so there's so many layers to it as well too i think even um a lot of it around how then do you create a space where you can begin to open up and express those things uh, and then how the ocean can actually facilitate that but in a way that's really contextually relevant that like actually fits within a culture that um i think is was really interesting to learn well, you also talk a lot about healing in the book and how water can help you find a more rounded form of healing, if you like. And and again, I was struck by the idea that you kind of put the idea forward that by being more mindful, cognizant of the, of our place in this environment, again, this like two-way relationship, multi-dimensional relationship, that will enable the the healing that people are after to be more effective in a way really than just again like going in as like right what's this going to do for me this element you know because again it's really this idea of water as a a healing um outlet you know there's a there's a a lot of examples of that these days aren't there with charities that are like doing this work you know you, you mentioned some in the book again that's a real theme isn't it like that's coming up like of of using it as a as a as a way of healing trauma like did you learn anything new about that territory while you were putting the book together yeah I definitely did I um I mean that's a huge area so then writing the book it was like there's so many jump off points you know like oh I'd love to go in deeper in there and I had to rein myself back in but I think in particular when it comes to like yeah the water trauma healing narrative uh I think when we're only scratching the surface but uh, yeah, and then I'm always, you know, curious as to what, like, the why of it. I think that's why the, the grief and loss came up as such strong themes in the book as well around water. And there's something there about it being this kind of when when we have those experiences when we're immersed in water, especially, or even just being by it. Um, it's like this real permission space, isn't it? Of to feel all of what we're feeling because we're able to connect with our bodies again or to ha- take a moment where we're present or where our nervous system just kind of down regulates a little <laughs> uh, which then just creates space to begin to even connect with how we're feeling because I think in a lot of situations it's 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 hard to even 
you know, even, I think even my last year, that, a lot more than half the time, if you asked me, how am I, how are you feeling? And I'd stop to even check. I wouldn't be able to tell you because I'm just wow. sinless. Mom, like, mom of young twins. Like, yeah, yeah. That'll happen. So, yeah, so then I would, so in the sea now more than ever, yeah, it's my, my healing as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the chapter about grief and the, the thoughts about grief is really moving. I mean, talk about your friend Brock quite a lot as it sounds like that was your, you, you almost, I don't, I don't want to use the word consciously, but you know, you certainly used water yourself there or your communion with water as part of your healing process, right? In that grieving stage. Yeah, it was interesting when I was putting the book together to see what stories emerged for me, right. that, you know, personally that seemed to speak the loudest. And it's almost like some then demand to be told and, and then other, there's so much that also isn't in the book. So it's interesting what finds its way in. And that one I was actually surprised um, that it it was a really, really strong one with the story around Brock Little, who I didn't meet very many times. Um, but yet again, that profound sort of, connection and then that kind of was role model in the surfing world i love that story of you as a little kid you know meeting the meeting it the, was the first time meeting then he kind of yeah you know, surf stars, so, so great legends you know from yeah. the surf magazine wide eyes like, oh my <laughs> god the superheroes are in town you know yes 100 like yeah and then there. and then that he was so lovely to you and yeah. encouraging and yeah, yeah it's really sweet that it's really yeah. nice yeah so it's important to you to because that was another you know the role of water in grief again you know you talk about the paddle out it's just something that you see so often and I didn't even really you know this is one of the things I really enjoyed about reading the book you know just you, you talked about you you know individual experiences of like being in water and how that makes you feel and not taking that for granted there's a great line where you say like it was just me and eight million species I think is is one of the lines when you go for a swim but then also how we collectively use water as a as a coping mechanism if you like and that I I really got a lot out of that chapter on grief because I kind of, yeah, I mean, it's ritualistic, isn't it? Mm. Basically, something like a paddle out. You know, yeah. it's like, it's again, it's that theme that you talk about of how we can are drawn to this element to try and make sense of something quite incomprehensible, which is something that you obviously also did with, with your grief for Brock, but also that we collectively do. It just kind of made me, again, like have a new understanding of why we do it rather than like oh someone's died they're having a paddle out do you know what I mean like (laughs) you can you you kind of oh that's what you do in that situation rather than actually thinking like well why 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 are we doing that like what is that giving us and again it's it's a way we've tried to use water to make sense of these big themes isn't it I think yeah it's and then because it's really powerful like literally what water does to us on like a physiological or biological level and psychological but then also as a metaphor and it's it's so strong as well so in one some ways it's like it literally holds all of who we are (laughs) because it's continually moving and cycling through us and then also it's it just allows when you have you do a paddle out in particular it's just that space that just holds that big emotional release but there's something to release it into where it's going to be held yeah and then there's also that energy of like connection too isn't it with through through the water and i came across australian scholar marty frost's work on it i think she's the only one kind of who's digging into the you know looking at the that as a ritual in in surfing culture with the paddle out which was fascinating on her she calls it was it um yeah blue blue deaths deathscapes or blue death spaces <laughs> right yeah 
how did you know which stories from your own history with water then what what was did you have a was that an instinctive thing because you mentioned that you almost had a filter that you knew when something was right like that's yeah. quite an interesting idea was that was that something that surprised you as you were pulling this together so it's interesting because whenever I get this like from a creative point of view and I get this I guess that block or you kind of get stuck in you feel like you're you've lost that authenticity and you're just putting together stuff like a mishmash of stuff that's how do you ground it in any kind of meaning or yeah I always feel like I need to have that how, how is it kind of coming through me and what yeah. am I contributing here well, I, <laughs> am I just bullshitting my well, way through well, this and I, and I guess as well though like because you have clearly you know we've touched upon this as one of the themes of this conversation like you know your relationship with water is clearly like a very evolving thing you know we've talked about lots of different ways in which you personally this relationship has fulfilled different emotional needs that you've had through varying stages of your life yeah which we can all recognize and like i say it's one of the things that i really enjoyed about reading the book but it must be difficult as the author because you don't want to overplay that card really do you you know you don't want it to be <laughs> yeah and you gotta you the, know. the lone what's the phrase the lone enraptured male like <laughs> oh, communing yeah. with nature like <laughs> did you, you know what i mean like it's a fine line that isn't it, it and I, yeah, and I had a bit. I had a bit more freedom with salt water and the blood. The first book is as more of a memoir, and then this one is it was different. I didn't want to just be all through. Yeah, let's talk hey, about me. Hey, this is me and my my water experience. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, to come. But it's relevant. Like, to, to ground it, yeah. and actually, this is the lens I'm looking through, and this as, as a jumping off point. But um, yeah, so creatively speaking, whenever I get stuck, I tend to I actually go back to the visual. So be it like maybe a painting I've done, or a photo, or an image, or a visual. Like um, even like the flow chapter came about through revisiting a lunar cycle that like short edit we made a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah I remember. Um, and that was, I guess, for me that that. I've I've used it a few times to go back and explore different themes to get my writing flowing without that kind of restrictive inner critic voice kicking off too soon or coming in trying to refine it too quickly. I hate that guy. Just yeah, yeah. <laughs> Buzzkill. Um yeah, so then I went back to that moment when we were filming in a lunar cycle that you know the 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 dance on the beach yeah. essentially. And then beginning to just, yeah, almost as a journaling exercise for myself, like a reflective practice. And then I would just kind of free flow journal without any censoring. And then um, sometimes I never, I might not even use that. Right. <laughs> but it would just uh, open up something of like, maybe I'd find the essence of what it was that I wanted to talk about. Or yeah. in this case, actually, it ended up being um, giving shape to a lot of that chapter on flow, which was, which was interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, movement's another very important theme of this, isn't it? Yeah. Did you yeah. learn anything new about your relationship to movement from putting the book together? Well, just even things like, um, you know, they, and I know the, um, Dan Burgess is, is also a great sort of uh, proponent of this, uh, how we are water. So we're all bodies of water. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, you can get that at a, you know, intellectual level or whatever, but then to actually really think that or to feel that um 
even imagine like when I was writing the book I didn't realize just how much of us is water like our skeleton is over 30% water right so I'm still tripping out on that yeah I'm I didn't sitting know that here either. thinking my bones that's like, that's are actually that, that's up there with the four million like <laughs> you know when I feel especially now when I feel like really stiff a lot of the time and I've probably moved the least amount I've moved right. <laughs> in a long time apart from lifting babies yeah. and pushing brams and um yeah that that really helps actually of like even when i when i think it i already feel my body like start to like soften yeah. and be more like water so i guess that's what i was playing at um this notion if we could also embody the qualities of water and how we behave and how we move and how would that change us as well would it make us less rigid in our thinking or yeah. would we move more freely just even the with the visual thought because of the power that we know now of your neuroscience and visualization quite simply but I have to remind myself these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I need to use them on myself. <laughs> yeah. But what a great forum to do that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's quietly ambitious, I think, the book, isn't it? You know, you are, like I, I said earlier, like you try to prod people a little bit. It's quite, quite quietly provocative in its way. You know, you, you, you're not exactly like taking a slice out of the way that people approach this right now. But there's definitely a point that you're making I think you know like about about the ways that we could get more out of this you know relationship communion did you have that ambition when you when you started to write it or because you talked about the fact that there was an insight that led to this yeah or was it something that evolved as you and how did you pitch that because obviously you want to bring people with you don't you you know you don't want to Yes, and it evolved as I was like, I didn't expect, maybe rather naively, to write so much around the topic of power as well. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, water, it's powerful. I'm gonna, <laughs> that's going to be a chapter. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, actually, water then ended up becoming the lens to look at our mm. power and how we use it. And then what, and water really representing the destructive forces at play when we abuse that power, water really takes the brunt of it, actually. Well, and also the, the, the kind of generational trauma that can come from the, the abuse of that power we you know some yeah. very obvious examples of that but yeah so there are there are some heavy moments in the book and it wasn't I, I did the audiobook recording and when you read a book out loud you should always do that before you go finish or publish a book <laughs> before it goes to print um and but it was interesting that there is even in reading the book there's this it's it's there's definitely hope in the book, but there are also, yeah, there's moments I, I realize, oh, that's, yeah, that's a bit hard hitting. <laughs> and did you, so that surprised you? Yeah, I think there was no getting away from it. And I wondered, because I wrote so much of the book during my pregnancy and also the timing of that, like I finished the final manuscript um, I closed the laptop on it and then the next day my waters broke. Right. So wow. <laughs> I think, there, so there's that, there is that energy and quality sure. to it of, of not of not wanting to hold back How's because I'm like, timing? this is it, this is the one shot I've got. <laughs> but also wanting to be real because I realize I'm bringing, you know, new life into the world and I don't know what that world is going to be like yeah. and so I'm trying to I, I suppose with the book I wanted to communicate that as honestly as possible as in this is where we're at right now yeah um and, and this is what we can learn <laughs> from maybe what's already happened yeah and what do we want to actually take from those experiences what the, the that wisdom carrying what do we want to take with yeah what do we want to take with us into this new future that we have no clue what it's going to look like but it's going to be radically different yeah and i mean it's going to sound a bit odd 
this but it is quite a political book in in, in that way like in in the way that it's i don't mean obviously in the literal sense but like in the in the way that it is about ultimately like how we we can should do or will live you know that's that is political you know yeah, whether you yeah. whether it and doesn't have to be slogans like it's I, I really got that impression from it you know that that's why i kind of say it's provocative as well you know like i think you can read it as like a guide to to these yeah. ideas yeah but i definitely recognized you know a stance in there that 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 you're communicating is that, is that fair i think so and i think maybe maybe i took the little freedom i had and ran with it because then you know in academia you have to rein yourself in you can't explicitly really make your stance known when you write papers um although there's you know there's always a bias and an agenda played there too but yeah <laughs> definitely I think that's fair to say uh, and definitely as I was writing the book I was like oh, I wish I actually had more training in political ecology <laughs> to deal with these to grapple with some of these things that were coming up some of these ideas yeah that's probably another one then <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm just laughs> yeah when the scars have healed yeah, yeah. um well we're going to do some picks, aren't we? So I will, I'll, I'll probably wrap it now, but a, a very obvious final question. Um, okay. But how is, do you see a difference in your relationship to water now, now that you've been through this process of writing this book and exploring these ideas? Yes. I make no apologies for that. For that um, well, that completely. <laughs> I, I think maybe the timing of it is, is well suited in that I've spent more time grounded in one place than I've ever been before at home in Donegal. And I'm just so keenly aware, maybe because of that, because I have time to, to be in one place, to just notice um, the water and the patterns and the cycles, but also much more aware. Like I, I realized when I started to write the book, my kind of shame of like, I'm, I actually needed to go and find out where the water came from that came out of my tap I didn't know <laughs> most of us probably don't know no. things like that and then I what is my watershed and where does all the where's all the water coming from that flows into the sea here or we've got you know Dernish Dernish Lock a lagoon near us as well and being back home sort of seeing it's the water quality in it is deteriorating as well so bringing up these questions of actually what can I do if I'm part of this ecosystem and if I am not able to care for yeah. the water that is in my own home, then yeah, I feel like that's that's a, a big piece of it, isn't it? So that's that's had a huge impact of of thinking about it in a real local context, actually, yeah, yeah. for myself personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going to do a Q&A for me, aren't you? You're going to do one of these open threads. Oh, yes. We, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'll do a little plug. I said yes, so, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. So basically Eski's going to do uh like an open thread so i've done them with tom k hugo uh, i've done a few like just general ones and so yeah if you listen to the conversation you want to whack a few questions up to Eski. i think i'm going to put that this live a couple of days after the episode comes out so in the outro i'll uh, i'll explain all that but thanks Eski. it's great to see Yay. you we'll thanks do some so pickies um and then you probably yeah you got your, you got your thing tonight right yeah so what's the I've form with that sign sign some books is it it's just a straight interview like on stage and then yeah it's going to be really special because sam and i haven't met in ages and we've done some you know previously done great trips together in places yeah, like right. Mauritania and mm. senegal and so we've got yeah just it's going to be 
that it's going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to catching up. And then obviously about the book, I'm going to do a reading from the book as well. We'll have Q&A with the audience. And I think Sam's put together a real special kind of short five minute clip of some of the um, adventures we got up to as well which touch upon I think, yeah some of well the, he's got some such of the themes interesting the ideas as well in the same i know same yeah. area doesn't he yeah so, yeah all right well great to see you and thanks for doing it great thank you so much yeah no worries so there you go that was me and Eastkey britain and i hope you enjoyed it i personally really love that conversation especially the way it headed off into different directions and the way that Eastkey followed me down a lot of different rabbit holes um and if you enjoyed it i've got good news Eski's going to be taking part in one of my open threads um, on Tuesday, June the 6th. I had to um, think about that, though, slash consult the calendar then. I should know it because my birthday's on Thursday, June the 8th, uh, a week tomorrow as I record this. I'm going to be 40 fucking seven. Christ on a bike. Um, anyway, Eski's going to be doing one of those open threads on my Substack, um, which are brilliant, really popular. Um, always go down really well with the Substack community and they provide a brilliant link between myself, the guests and the community. And what's going to happen is EC is going to be on there answering your questions for the following couple of days. You can ask her anything you want. You can ask her about big wave surfing, uh, our conversation, her new book, her take on our relationship with water, the stuff about blue health that we discussed is it blue mind i never know the blue stuff that we discussed anyway um she's you can ask her anything about that so to participate sign up to my Substack. you can find it at lookingsideways.substack.com or via we are lookingsideways.com and then when the thread opens like i say tuesday the 6th of june in the morning just whack your question in there you will need to be signed in um and he's, he's gonna answer them over the following couple of days as usual there's a prize for the best question or comment exclusively for paid subscribers, the prizes. Um, one of the perks that my paid subscribers get. In this case, Finisterre have donated one of their fancy changing robes as a prize. So, um, you know, worth, if you're a paid subscriber, worth whacking a question on there, I would say. So keep them peeled. And anyway, big thanks to Eski. Um yeah, I really look forward to seeing what the Looking Sideways community out there comes up with in response to this episode. So what else is going on? Well, like I say, I, I was just a celebrant at my friend, two of my close friend's wedding, um, which was a really brilliant experience. And yeah, I mean, obviously this is housekeeping corner. <laughs> if you still, in fact, let's do it. You still listen at this point and you're about to listen to me talking about me being a celebrant. Big up to you and, you know, fuck the rest of them, um, as we like to say because they'll have gone by now and turned off anyway so these friends of mine dear friends asked me to do this in actually alex asked me to do it on his stag do in march and i was a bit like well fucking hell really and he was like oh you know you don't have to do it and i was like well i'm only gonna say no am i um and then for one reason or another i didn't really look at it until about two weeks before the wedding and then i i, I messaged my friends alex and tanya and i said should we have a chat about this whole wedding thing? Um, me doing your service? You still want me to do that, right? They were like, yeah, 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 still up for it. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? And they were like, well, I, you know, you, you'll work it out. You'll, you'll be good at this. I was like, right, okay, fucking hell. Um, so what I should have done was broken my chat GPT duck. And I only thought of this afterwards because surely if there's anything that that thing is invented for it is please 
create me a template of a, a celebrant speech at a wedding. Um, but I didn't do that because um, I'm not clever enough. So what I did was I wrote one myself. And luckily, they really liked it. So that's what we did. And I surprised myself, really, because I actually really enjoyed it. I've had a bit of a realisation in the last year, which is I'm start, I'm finally starting to enjoy public speaking. I actually enjoy it. Um, and actually... I mean, it's only taken 47 years. Um, and actually, I think it kind of happened when I was doing the Chris Burkhard thing last year. And I was a bit nervous. It's like when we went to Stockholm. And I was a bit nervous. And I was a bit like, what the fuck? Like, I've been doing this years. You know, I've been, I mean, I must have interviewed a thousand people over the years, if you count the journalism as well as the podcasting done about a million shit gigs from being in bands my whole life i've done some pretty decent big gigs as well and i've done a lot you know i've done i've basically i've done it a lot i've i've stood on i've stood in front of people and spouted off a lot over the years and i just i had this i was a bit like fuck i should try enjoying this um so i did um and it was a revelation because i kind of realized that i'm not saying i'm good at it but i kind of know what I'm doing a little bit these days so that's where that approached being a celebrant at my friend's wedding and I ended up really enjoying it it was a complete honor um and a real privilege everyone was really nice to me afterwards which you know always helps I mean importantly the bride's dad came up to me and said he thought it was great which is the only review that you need really in it um so yeah that happened so thank you Alex and Tanya I, d- I got asked to do it a couple more times that day and then Boog said to me, we know people get quite well paid for that. And I was a bit like, fucking hell, I guess they do, don't they? Um, so, you know, bar mitzvahs, uh, weddings, funerals, um, I might be available. Um, who knew? Um, so what else is going on? Well, before we went to Cornwall, and I've been sort of talking a bit about this in the newsletter and on Instagram, I took part in the Surfers Against Sewage paddle out protest in Brighton, which was about, you know, protesting about the state of the waterways in the UK. If you haven't been paying attention, and I'm guessing from the turnout, a lot of people fucking haven't been paying attention. I'll give you the quick story. Our water utilities were privatised in the Thatcher era. And the um, the argument about that was, and the argument about privatisation, um, particularly that peddled by the Tories in the 80s, was always the same. Like, you know, put, turning it over to the market will mean you'll get a better service. I think we can all agree that all that that's actually meant is that those companies have been taken over by foreign um, venture capitalists and rapacious mega capitalists who have all they've done is like siphon off all the money. And 30 years later, there's a complete lack of investment in the infrastructure in this com- in this country, which means that our sewage systems are creaking. And at the minute, our rivers, lakes and seas are being polluted with literal sewage as that system struggles to cope. All this at a time when shareholders are being paid ever higher dividends. A recent FT report found that 20% of our bill payments go straight out of the system and into the pockets of shareholders. It's a fucking disgrace, um, if you'll pardon the language. Although I realise I've been swearing quite a lot on this. Um, so sorry if that offends you, but you know, whatever. Um, so... For me, it's a complete no-brainer. Absolute non-partisan, cross-party issue. Um, if, you, if you've if you got this far and you've listened to Eski and you're at all aware of this, I imagine that you're quite aware of this stuff. And also, 
you know, you might be a surfer, a swimmer, a water user. Basically, this type of thing directly impacts the the type of activity that large numbers of us in the outdoor community enjoy. Um, so naive old me went along to this paddle out thinking there's going to be loads of people there. I reckon there was 200 people and, and there's 135,000 people in Brighton. I mean, I'm in a swim group on WhatsApp who didn't turn up, um, incidentally, who there's, I think there's 30 people in that. There's certainly more than 200 surfers in Brighton. I counted two people from the lineup that I know. Um, so I was surprised, very dispirited by the turnout. The weird thing was there was a lot of people there congratulating themselves and a lot of my friends were like, oh, this is brilliant. I was a bit like, this is not brilliant. This is like apathy in action. Um, so like I say, I've been spouting off um, as I do and annoying people as I appear to do. Um, and... Um, it's just inspired me to explore it a little bit. I'm, I, you know, I, I imagine if you're, for example, my friend Lauren McCallum listened to this, who's like hugely engaged in the protest community. I sound like a proper bellend really, because, you know, this is like your classic case of somebody belatedly turning up to an issue and thinking they've got all the answers or, or noticing it for the first time. I'm very aware of that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to explore the topic. A friend, uh, Callum, who is involved with Just Stop Oil, saw my post on Instagram and he's writing me a blog about this um, on the Substack, which will be going up soon. So, so yeah, there you go. That's what's been going on with me. Um, like I say, normal service will resume. I've got Melody Sky, my photographer friend, coming up. That's a really funny one. That did that on the beach in Brighton. Um, my friend... Um, Gilly is down in two weeks two weeks tomorrow she's going to be down um, and I'm going to interview Gilly um, who's a legend and um, yeah there's stuff going on um, so as usual if you want to comment on this go on Substack there'll be comments at the end of this episode you can you know I get older me please do I'd love to hear from you um, and I'm going to do one alright nice one mm-hmm.